All right, John. So the beginning of the podcast, I uh, guess, gets to dedicate it. So to start the show, what would you like to dedicate this episode to or, or whatever you like? Well, I'd like to get dedicated to my father. He uh, was a school teacher. He's retired now. And he was uh, an actor. Uh, in college, his freshman year, he landed the lead part in a play his freshman year. And it's something he pursued through his okay. entire adult life until within the last 10 to 15 years. He was in a lot of community theater and that kind of thing. So he never quit. Huh? Never quit. And right. I guess I got the bug there. <laughs> right. Uh, from watching by example, I guess. But. <laughs> Something like that. All right, we're back with John Edel, right? Edel. Edel, yeah. Edel, Edel. Yeah. I don't, and then if you haven't listened before, I always like to talk about names before you begin to talk about the begin our show. Um, Edel, is it, what, is it kind of botched up or it's it? It's Bohemian. Oh, from there, really? Yeah, Bohunk. So as, a, yeah, we're, uh, um, my family's all from southern Minnesota down by Montgomery, New Prague. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's how we say it. we say Prague, not Prague. Prague. Yeah, no, not New Prague. If you say New Prague, they know you're not from Minnesota. But right. <laughs> so it's Bohemian, right? Mm-hmm. I, it's um, and that's kind of like the Netherlands, Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia, yeah, all that, U- yeah. Ukraine, yeah. that general area. Yep. And we talked about it. I think a couple episodes back, we talked about that. One of my favorite Sherlock Holmes story is a scandal in Bohemia, which is <laughs> um, the, the 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 king the king of the of the kingdom has a scandal that he needs Sherlock to stand but it's also a word of bohemian like artsy really out there right? yes yes really definitely definitely <laughs> right. my uh, I'm named after my grandfather uh, my grandfather's right. name was John at all um, as well and so we were obviously particularly close and he was uh, somewhat of a performance-minded person he played the accordion so when I'd go to visit my grandpa he'd just sit on the couch and make up songs and sing and just in bohemian so can you do the accordion? Did you no, try No, it? it's something I, I wish, you know, I wish I would have got that accordion. Because you, you mentioned that you do music as well on, on your, yeah, your bio. Yeah, I do a little bit of bass guitar, um, very little drums, and actually kind of it's been a while since I've done drums, but uh, I was doing a like a coffee house two-piece uh, music okay. project where I played bass guitar within the last few years, so... Yeah. Just a standard four or six string? Yeah, standard four, you know, Fender P bass. Right, yeah. Not, no, no fretless bass, nothing funky where I had to, Right, yeah. Was... I can claim credit for actually knowing how to play, but... <laughs> well, I, I started music later in life, like in my 20s. I didn't really play in high school or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I started playing drums, and it's it's a wonderful... I think it, it you train your brain, because you're doing three things... Three different things at once. The feet and the hands doing independently of right. each other. That was always a trick for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's you know, I. So, what kind, if I may ask, mm-hmm. what kind of what what kind of brand did you prefer for drums? Since I kind of knew. I had a vintage uh, late '60s Gretsch. Really, and that is hard. That's that's pretty rare. Yeah, and it was. I bought it at one of the drum shops locally. It was a consignment yeah. thing, and the bass. You know the. Bass drum size is one of the big things that kind of outlines what kind of 
kit yeah. it is, whether it's a professional kit or whatever. And this was a small, I can't remember what the measurements were, but this one of the smaller kick drums. Yeah. So it was kick, two toms, floor toms, snare, a couple of cymbals. And um, I could play a, a basic beat. And I, I don't know if right. you found it or being around drummers, but a lot of times you kind of fall back into it like a comfortable you know, spot that you play in terms of the backbeat right. or whatever. And uh, I always regard myself kind of like a Charlie Watt. I just kind of like not really trying to stick out, just trying to make everybody. Yeah, just holding, doing your job, you and the bass player working <laughs> together to keep the yeah. basic beat in place and everybody kind of follows that rhythm. And yeah, exactly. Usually when I play with my, I would like to be, I'd like to be the drummer because you're on stage, but it's not really, and it's, Everybody, you cannot screw up. Everybody else can screw up. Mm-hmm. You cannot. Oh, yeah. If you it, do, that's a train wreck. Right. Uh, sure. So it's very noticeable if you do. So, and I I think it's very important because I would never, because I'm so concentrated on keeping the beat and everything. Um, as a bass and uh, drummer, did you ever get to see Whiplash, the movie? I didn't. Oh, you no. would love it. With that J- sounds like one I got to go back and look for. Uh, J.K. Simmons won... Uh, best supporting actor for that. Oh yeah, you know, I saw the scene. I saw was the one where he's berating the guy in this in the uh, rehearsal. Uh, I saw that scene yeah. where he just tears him apart, and then the, the end scene. I'm probably not giving away anything. This it's been out for years. Right? No, right, yeah. But the end scene where the kid goes into the solo. Yeah. And at first, Jake, you know, Simmons, his character is like, "What are you doing?" And he's kind of like, "Going." He's basically acknowledging that. This kid is really evolved and really so he lets him do the solo yes for like five minutes and brings it down to like the one little click on the snare and then they bring it back up and yeah so i did see but i never saw the whole movie it would be i think you would really enjoy it because it's wonderfully acted and it's all about music and especially for rhythm sections for people who have just done it and him to mm-hmm. yell at them are you rushing or are you slow because you better know yeah, you're one of them. Pick it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's. I think it's very hard because even when we do recordings, it's very hard to one, two, three, four. And it's just, very hard to be a metronome like that. And drummers, yeah. they do have to. You know, I've got a good friend of mine. He's a, a professional drummer, and he's played with. You know, he's in my age group, so he's played with a lot of people and toured, and he's played in pickup bands, and he played with Chuck Berry one time. In a oh, pickup you really? Band. And uh, Chuck Berry was notorious for being terrible on drummers. I would, I was, as I just mentioned that, oh, I think him just, and Wilson Pickett, if you, you could not make one mistake. Well, they had no, they had no rehearsal, yeah. no set list. So they go out on stage, the band first, and then Chuck Berry comes out and uh, the house announcer, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry turns around and goes, one, two, three, and hits a chord, and nobody knows what he's playing mm. well this is the way the show went well about halfway into the show at one point barry didn't like what my friend norm was doing he turns around he starts kicking the front of the bass drum and it's like no it's one two one <laughs> and norm was just like he was so mad <laughs> he was so mad <laughs> and he's like it came yeah. through just like i was warned the drummers are the one he goes after well, it's it's the start of it all, right? Because yeah. you, like I mentioned before, they can't screw up. Do you have a favorite uh, music, or can you listen to all kinds of music? I I do have uh, all type of music taste. I go from everything, um, from opera, yeah, to uh, you know the typical channels on it's like a, you know standard satellite radio where you got eighties music or seventies music or kind of music moods. So right, I think it's very important, especially if you're a creative person, not to cancel out something. 
you know, even if it's in, I think I talked, I listened to a podcast with William Shatner says, always say yes to something new. Just even if, yeah. you, just, even if it's something like, oh, I don't like that new artist, just try it. I just, think that's a very healthy perspective because you're going to, yeah. I mean, if you would have ever told me 15 years ago that I would probably be really interested in opera, I would have said, uh, probably not. <laughs> but I ended up actually doing some acting, you know, they hire actors, they call them supernumeraries, which is basically uh, acting without singing to fill in the scenes. Okay, so, that's okay. That, right. Yeah, so I did eight or nine operas with the uh, uh, Minnesota Opera Company over the last few years. I haven't done it now for a few years, but so I got to be in like uh, Barbara of Seville, Figaro, oh, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro yeah, that yeah. most famous song to anybody. Even yeah. if you don't know opera, you know Figaro. Yes, yeah. So yeah. so now you got like an affinity for, for, for operas and all that. Yeah, stuff. I can, yeah. I go in my car and it's like, you know, if I'm in the mood, it's like I'll hit that and I can listen to, and I, a lot of now a lot of them I recommend, oh, it's Wagner. You know, I rec I rec I recognize. I mean, recognize the, the so, composers. Uh, is that primarily the, the only instruments you do is like drum and bass, the rhythm sections, or have you entertained yeah. ideas to do anything else? I was a trumpet player in high school. Okay, but um, I just never really warmed up to it. I mean, I kind of, right. to be honest with you, did the bare minimum. To <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you so sound this, like a typical high school. Oh yeah. Well, the tip the the story was we graduated from high school. My friend was going to put together a band. And of course, bass player is the easiest position to get into because, you know, the guitar players and the lead guitar and everything. everybody wants to. Right, and the right. singer, you got to be the front man. You got to have it. But so I could get into the bass play bass role. So I took my trumpet and went to a pawn shop and pawned it and bought a bass guitar. And then, so that's <laughs> how I got into that. But yeah. so was it a, a natural thing to go into acting as another creative outlet or is that something you always did? Yeah, I think it was an evolution from the music. It was a combination of the music and performance that way. Uh, I also yeah. did a lot of public speaking, extemporaneous speaking. And then uh, I also showed horses. We, I grew up on a hobby farm and we showed horses. So oh. that was performance. You know, you're, you're, you're basically, you're playing a part when you show a horse at halter, you know, you're... Got the outfit on. You got the outfit on. Yeah. You're playing cowboy when you're not really a cowboy and you're making the horse look a certain way so it, it gets it's shown the best representation of the, what the horses uh, look look like. So got all those things together and then I started taking some classes here and there and, and really f it was something that um, 25 years into it, I've never felt like I had to ever nudge myself to do. Like I'll yeah. take a class, uh, like I was telling you earlier about this improv class I've been taking now for the last few months. Right, you just came from Yeah, that. I just yeah. came from that today. And it's like, it's it's something that I never have to push myself to do. It's just like, well, when I'm here, it feels like where I'm supposed to be. Right, it's almost like so, a phrase I always kind of, I remember my, my, my mentors always say, is there's always like the phrase of, I get to, instead of I have to. Yeah, that's a and good if way you of... say something, I get to do it, I think you like it, instead of I have to, right? Mm -hmm. And always change your I get to, instead of I have to. So it sounds like you'd like to, you, it's for you, it's I get to do it, instead yeah, of I have exactly. to. It's, yeah, exactly. It's like I'm always looking at my schedule going, what fun thing is in the works and when I'm pursuing something, it's like, it's always the, the thrill of the hunt. Yeah. A little bit of, you know, of that. And of course there's, you know, honestly, and obviously there's a definite amount of rejection because, you know, when you're not right for the part, you're yeah. not right. And in someone's eyes, if for that particular moment in time, even though you've played that type of character several times in the last couple of years in this particular situation, they don't see it that way. 
Yeah, so. it's 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 a. I don't. I I'm. I have a couple of relatives that are doing auditions, and I say it's not necessarily you have to get comfortable with it, but you kind of have to understand it. I mean, it's not really about you, but it's something. It's about their perception. It's not the whole scope of the whole. It's, and so, it's not yep. necessarily being comfortable about hearing about it, but it's something that you just. Not, well, so yeah. the one of the best ways I had it described, um, and it can apply to either commercial auditions or actual film or theater auditions, is yeah. you're, you're coming in and when you're auditioning, what you're doing is looking to solve a problem that someone else has. Like speaking yeah. specifically to the commercial world, if you're going to endorse a product or service and they picture they're looking for a grandfather and two grandkids playing in the backyard, um, there's so many things that go into that of you know do you look like do you really look like a grandfather to me and do you look right. like those are your grandkids and all that and it that in one time you may look like the perfect fit the next time they're like it's they just yawn so <laughs> right. it's just the way it is uh with the um auditions and stuff like that so if um have you done like skype interview like the video auditions as well it's getting to be more and more of that uh I've been doing more. I actually finally broke down in the last year and I've got, I got box lights and a tripod and everything in my house. So when I get a tape audition, um, it's pretty easy to crunch one out, which is a nice thing because just like people who are in radio and voiceover, you know, 15, 20 years ago before the internet, if they were going to do VO, they'd have to fly into whatever city, go into the studio (laughs) and fly home. Now it's like, you can do this. And the one the, probably the, the biggest negative of it is is that you get a little bit of direction from when they tell you here you know we'd like yeah. you to send a tape audition but you don't get a second take because if, like if you go to an in-person audition they'll say that's great now instead of being angry just be a little more frustrated and you try to apply that yeah. but you when you do a tape audition you're kind of like well this is my reading based on my research and what I think this person, this character, where, where they're at at this point in time and whatever. This is what I'm going to take my best shot at, yeah. what I think might be the fit. And, you know, you'll get sometimes it's absolutely, oh, I never would have seen it that way or I love that you saw it that way. And yeah. then other times it's like, nah. So. <laughs> <laughs> so what would, do you remember what was your first acting role? Do you remember what it was? Was it when you were a kid or? Um, I did a couple of really small things in, uh, high school theater, small roles, uh, in like the music man, something like that. High school production. Sure. Right. I, I love really tiny. I mean, like I didn't even, I mean nothing, but, um, so I let it go for about 10 years out of high school and through college and started my professional life. And then when I started getting back into it, one of the great avenues to get, to get uh, experience uh, and, and really uh, learn a lot about the process of filmmaking was student films. Okay. And I did uh, some student films uh, right out of the gate with a couple of the local film schools and those were, uh, I got I had one where uh, the role was, it was a story of the husband and the wife and the mother-in-law to me, my character. And it was a lot of uh, facial expression acting and reacting versus just delivering lines right it's a little bit sometimes it kind of feels like it, which was say. really good because yeah. it and then the way that the, the director it was one of those you know typical capstone student film projects so that the student filmmaker this is their final grade for their degree 
And this person just, the way they cut it together, and it was just, it was awesome. And when you see that end result, and you know what you were thinking when you did what you did, and you took the direction when you were there, and then you see how they envision it when they cut it together and that, uh, it's pretty it's pretty fun and pretty interesting. So yeah, I did that, did some of those, and then uh, I, I did, you know, I got the commercial audition things were, you know, they, they're, I got a couple right away, and then I went a little while, and then you get something again, you know, so you kind of just get used to that. Well, I heard a lot of people know. say, you know, that when you get commercials, it's almost like a wave. You get a bunch of them at once, and then all of a sudden... Yeah, it you seems know. like you're juggling. All of a sudden, you've got everything's overlapping with each other, and then yeah. you're caught up, and you're looking. Hello, <laughs> I still exist. <laughs> right. yeah. So it always comes like in waves, almost, I guess. I think. Yep. And especially, yep. I think, anytime anybody does anything creative, it's not like steady. It's almost like a burst of it and then all of a sudden it goes away and i usually do that especially with my comic book almost and there's days i could do five pages in a day and there's sometimes i could just struggle just doing one panel when you're in the groove and you're in the mindset that's the time to do it because yeah. you're just that's when you're going to get the results and it's the same way with uh rehearsing or learning lines or doing character research it's the same thing if, if it if it feels like my mindset isn't quite right it's probably not the right time to do it if i wait yeah and when they went like the, this morning, I mean, today's kind of been a creative day for me all around because I did a bunch of research on some online acting classes that I've been looking at and taking. I did that in the morning and I had improv for a couple hours and then I have this. So uh, to me, this is my groove. If I could have a creative day all day, every day, I'd be a happy camper. So. <laughs> right, right. I just saw this trailer um, uh, for a new movie. It has Lawrence Fishburne and Kate Blanchett in it and she's playing this architect that hasn't been she's a well-celebrated architect in the movie, but she hasn't done anything recently. And there's a line in the Lawrence Fisher, Lawrence Fishburne says to her, it's like, you're a creative person. If you're not creating anything, you are a menace to society. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I can right. see that. I can see that. <laughs> so, and I, I, I was in the theater and heard that line and go, I believe that is true. I, I believe that if I'm not doing anything creative, I am kind of a menace and a kind of difficult to be around with. I don't, I can't imagine being to the point where I'm going, this is my last project and I'm going to step away from it. I right, don't yeah. see that probably hopefully ever happening. You know, I remember, I remember Daniel day Lewis a couple of years ago when he won another Academy award and it was like, it wasn't Lincoln. It was something else I think. And he was like, this is my last. And he's like stepping away from it. And he seems to be, um, really staying true to that. And I don't, I just don't, you know, I don't know it to me. It's, it's just such a motivating thing. The, right. The, the next thing potentially coming around the corner, um, I'm I'm negotiating on something right now that if it does come together, it'd probably be one of the biggest things I've ever done, and just the juice, yeah, of feeling that that's in the works, that there's possibility that this could actually happen. It's like fuel it's for everybody. Really motivating. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think the best one is uh, Alfred Hitchcock said on the David David Cavett show, and David asked him, "What do you do when you're not making movies?" And he said, "And he said." thinking about making a movie yeah yeah <laughs> that's exactly right that's i think that's that's that sums it up really well actually so are you um i like to i'll ask i like to ask all actors are you comfortable watching yourself for the most part okay um there's occasionally something that if i just really felt like i struggled to find what i was looking for i might yeah. not be as you know excited to see it um, I've, I've come to looking at a lot of what I've done in a very analytical eye, which I think is good more yes, as a right, yeah. objective. I do a lot of now of going, okay, when I watch that scene, I know what I was thinking 
the character was feeling at that moment and where they were at mentally and where they were at with circumstances and their backstory and everything like that, did that come across in the in the performance? I remember somebody saying very early on, uh, especially in the film stuff where I was learning more about that, and it was like, you know, well, a good ed- editor can make a lot of that still look pretty good. <laughs> so, but uh, but uh, same thing as a, a bad edit can also make it look like, hmm. Right. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, so I can, I can enjoy, I don't, the thing I don't like putting together is real. No. Okay. It's really hard to put together real because I'm, when you're putting together real, especially by yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and it's, it's like, how do I pick, what do I think is the best representation objectively if I'm looking to, you know, real is to help you get hired. So is this for sure the best representation? So usually when it comes to real, I'll go to a couple people, the confidants, I call it my closest inner circle of people that we've been helping each other for years. And I'll say, I was thinking of using this clip or that clip, or what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And I want like, give me objective, real feedback. Well, yeah, of course. Don't yeah. say, oh, it's good, no, that's good. Oh, yeah, no, they, it's great, everything, what I change it, oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give me the, you know, well, there's two, because you know, a lot of times it'd be like, especially when you're doing, if you're doing short films, something like that, there may be a couple of scenes where you're kind of in a toss-up going, well, they're both so good, I should have them both in there. And then it's like, well, probably realistically, that's not the smartest thing because a, a reel should be pretty short. So you don't want to tie up half the reel with yeah. a couple of clips from the same project when you're trying to show your range. So, um, yeah, so that's hard. That's probably the hardest because I go, oh, for sure, is this what I want to, Yeah. What how I want to pitch myself? Because it is, you know, auditioning, and I've had sales roles in my life, and auditioning is really like that. It's just it's a sales job. Yeah, you know, you're selling yourself. You know, my services, my talents, my my look, and all that. And you get used to that too. Of you know, the, like I mentioned, that inner circle, we can yeah. talk yeah. amongst ourselves and be very, very like honest with each other. They're saying, you know, I don't think that was quite the take. You know, and this is why and whatever, and try right. to help draw that person out so I really count on that I remember an uh, interview with Robert De Niro he just said it just simply doesn't feel right that's all I have to say it just yeah. didn't feel right yeah. let's try again yeah. I learned a mistake years ago where I did a, a short film as a contest film and the director had a really specific and you know one of these real time crunch contest films you know which ones right I'm yeah like to. the 48 hour exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah off you go and it's it was a little was, more like Cannonball Run oh, filmmaking. Well, my scene that they were going to shoot was going to be the first scene of the day on a Saturday. Yeah. And they had to go all day to get this footage shot for a seven minute contest film. And the director had a very specific, this is what I'm looking for. I want this character to be this way. And he just, he spelled it out like he saw it, had this vision of how he wanted it. And he made it very, very specific. And so we did one take and he's like, no, I want this guy to be really like, unusual and over the top and when you say over the top to an actor that doesn't register it doesn't register because it's like you know you always get told is that you know that's the last thing you want to do is go over the top because it's you know it's going to look like you're not acting you're just being out of control or whatever and so we did this one take and the take they ended up using this representation of the character was just but I, I'm mad at myself to this day where I still sort of said, okay, we've got five more minutes. Now let me just give you one the way I see it. Yeah. What yeah. I prepared for in the short time I had to prepare for because it was contest film. But I just watched, uh, it was on uh, Noir Alley last night on Dangerous Ground. 
uh, directed by Nicholas Ray. And if you ever take films, Nicholas Ray is always regarded as somebody that didn't really direct movies. He usually let everybody kind of tell him what they wanted to do. And it's always the, you know, like he did Rebel Without a Cause, which mm-hmm. pretty much James Dean told him the whole movie what he wanted to do it wasn't really nicholas ray saying this is what i want yeah and so it got him a little bit in trouble because sometimes it the movie didn't really mesh but he was very important that he wanted actors to have an input and as not not only that this the cameraman and everybody what they wanted to do with the movie and he always regarded himself uh nicholas ray is not so much a director but so much as just navig corralling everybody all right let's not get out of the fence mm-hmm. all right but yeah but this is what you want to do. Let's try it. This is what you you want to turn. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah. look at like Clint Eastwood's directing style as an actor. Look, yeah. you know, you've probably seen. I'm sure you've seen clips of. He doesn't even call action. No. It's just kind of like <laughs> the scenes there. Then he's kind of like he'll say something like, "All right, well, let's go." Right. It's very laid back. Yeah. And well, it I just kind of breathes. The scene just breathes organically, and he just kind of lets it go on and on. And then finally, he'll just go, "Okay, that's enough." He doesn't say cut. He'll say, well, that's, okay, that's enough. Right. I, I remember when they did Mystic River and Sean Penn was getting mad at him. And he's like, well, you're not giving me any direction. And Clint's like, you're the actor. Yeah. I hired you to do your job. I'm not telling mm-hmm. you how to do You tell me what your job's going to require. And then that's. Yeah. Right. And I think that, I think that from my experiences, I think the best results have been where they're collaborative. Right. Where the director, yeah. they bring you on board because they think you bring on the combination of look, background, a good audition, uh, just a general, and a good part of it is feeling like you're someone that I want to do this creative journey with. Yeah. You know, if you don't feel like I'm a person that you'd want to do a creative journey with, why would you want to bring me on to tell the story? It's like, oh, this person is just not, doesn't feel it. Why would you want to do that? So if you have all those things working and you have a collaboration, I mean, that's like, you look like Scorsese and, and DiCaprio, how many films they've paired up together on and right, also yeah. Scorsese and uh, De Niro and Pesci and all you know all those whole things about you know the I mean in those cases like uh, Scorsese is working with De Niro and Pesci since he was in film school primarily almost yeah 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 so yeah. I mean it's like the, the, there is a lot of that collaboration and I think yeah. that's a good thing because I think you can I've you know I've got something that I'm kind of dabbling with right now where I'm working with a filmmaker who's writing something and he's writing it specifically to work with me on it because we haven't worked together. And I'm getting a little bit of input on the storyline, which is nice, which is a different part of it than I've never been really involved yeah. with the writing side. Uh, and that just, but it just sets a tone of collaboration. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a little break and uh, more back with John. I'm Billy Dees hey. from the self titled Billy Dees podcast. You can find me on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and many. We're back with John. Um, is that with the the workshop? Are you working with comedy, doing the ad libbing and? 
Yeah, the improv class I'm doing improv, right okay. is uh, the trainer. Uh, she was with the Upright Citizens Brigade in L.A., which is uh, one of the oh big, really yeah one of the big troops for that was almost a comedy. I was taking a step. Almost maybe yeah yeah yeah. I mean, yeah yeah. So she's got a pretty awesome resume, and I feel for me, I mean, I I took stand up training along the way, and I actually right. did some work as a stand up comedian, not because I wanted to be a stand up comedian, but I wanted the experience. There are certain working live. Yeah, you, yeah, there's a there's yeah. a you get into the basic things of comedy like the rule of three, the da 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 da, you know that kind of thing, and then yep. the uh, callbacks. You get really good with callbacks when you do stand up. You you'd make a joke about uh, stop sign a stop sign or something, and then you do two or three different premises, and right. then you would call back. You refer to like that stop sign. You know, when you call do back, callbacks, yeah. right, people... You know, Louis Anderson talked about stand-up and mm-hmm. how, you know, he had to come on after um, Sam Kinison. Well, how do you... How, the, <laughs> especially the, Louis being kind of mild. Well, what he did was always incorporate Sam into it. Well, what do you think of that Sam backstage? To the point it was funny where Sam's like, <laughs> I'm with these two girls, let me alone. So, it, you know, mm-hmm. how are you going to... All of a sudden, you're, Sam just lets them... They're exhausted from laughing so hard. How are you going to... You know, and that's kind of the trades of stand-up comedy. You know, there's yep. certain got to read the audience what they, they kind of uh, in for. You know, right? well, and the slot I had was the MC or the opener or the feature, and yeah. that's the one that's you're in the way of the act that people came to see because you're only warming the crowd up for the okay for the name brand. So you person. only get like five minutes. Yeah, or- so you get five minutes, and your job is to basically get people focused. You know, get a couple chuckles out of them, get them to turn their phones off, get them to order their drinks if it's a comedy club or whatever, and then bring out the person they came to see. So you get the you get to dabble in it without having the heavy lifting of I'm not the person that people came to see for the next 45 minutes. Yeah. So, but I learned a ton. Um, and so improv wise, I like improv because I think even as an actor, yeah, I think I think for me, my I, I always feel like in my gut, my biggest. Uh, role that I ever have is probably going to be some type of comedic character role with okay. some type yeah. of an improv element to it. In other words, that the that the it's kind of like you you know you see these specials. I don't know if you watch these uh, on cable, these documentaries about how movies like Caddyshack were made um, yes. and yeah, Stripes. Not, yeah, they've been kicking them out, right? Yeah, yeah and yeah. so it's like they they talk about you know like Bill Murray to me is like an absolute idol. Because he's... He doesn't the, seem like he's working. Yeah, he's just a king of improv. He improved so many of these scenes in these movies, and they're like the ones... If people get together and they joke about the one-liners from these movies, the stuff that they're they're repeating is the stuff that he made up on the fly right there. So I think, you know, I mean, I, when I talk to a filmmaker about a script, if I'm being talking about being cast or whatever, I always do like to ask um, how they feel about bringing a little bit of an improv to the situation versus just literal writ. These are the lines. Yeah. You said, uh, instead of a, the, and that's not the way I think I would say that line kind of thing. And if I have my preference, I love to have a little bit of flexibility to a little bit looser. Yeah. Kind of like I was saying earlier about that. I wish it, give me one take where I do it my way rather than just doing it your way. So, um, do you, when improv, do you think about costuming? Well, improv is, is, you're implying you're you're pantomiming all this stuff so right, yeah. it's what i did find was uh, i went i took a film audition class with an la film person that was in town a couple months ago 
and I'd been doing improv for so long, I kind of forgotten that in, in those kind of auditions, you don't pantomime. You don't yeah. pull out the fake gun like this and go like this. You know, the yeah. m- most you could do is something like this, but yeah, I know that's not good for podcast and radio, but you're not seeing what I'm doing. Right. But he did. <laughs> but uh, you uh, you don't pantomime, so you're you're working either with real props or you're just not you're not pretending something. No, right. I, I heard Scorsese, or not um, Francis Coppola, always bring props to auditions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. Sorry, to it just popped yeah. in my brain that the, the, the differences of improving in like. In, well, it, yeah. it, they'll literally call you out on it. This LA casting person was like, you know, we just you'd absolutely you would never do that. I'm like, yeah, I know my mindset's just in the. I've been doing so much improv, and they talk about in improv classes. I mean, I was just there today, and it's like you know you're you don't want to be two carbon life forms just standing there talking with each other, you know. One straight man and one silly. Yeah, and we talked about an off. Uh, it's almost like what television was in the eighties or eighties. Yeah, yeah. Just so you could do that same exact yeah. thing, but incorporate some business. What an actor calls business is picking something up, unpacking a bag of groceries, washing the car while you're talking over your shoulder or whatever it might be. Yeah. But just to stand there and talk at each other, then it's just two people just speaking to each other. So the business. So when you're in improv, you're faking everything. You're pretending there's a rope that you're pulling up, you're climbing up like in gym class, and you're faking all this stuff. And the audience, but the audience buys it and goes along with it because they get based on everything else going on, what's going on, and that's improv. You know, I was going to bring it up because you were in a little bit, you were in C.J. Renner's movie Gun, which is kind of a little bit like, uh, because the whole movie premise was kind of like it's on a stage. That was so cool. That's only the second time that I've done a project like that. And, and CJ and Sasha, they, they just, they come up with these great ideas and yeah, it was shot on a, on a stage with theater staging. And it was like, there was no, it wasn't like they were doing it that way because they couldn't find a location. They were doing it that way because that was the style of the, of the film was that it was going to take place in that environment? Yeah, and that yeah. was that was cool. Yeah, was really before cool. you talk, but um, a previous episode, CJ talked about the film Guns. So if anybody's interested, if they want us to stop the tape and go back and listen to, um, we had CJ on talking about the movie Gun and the uniqueness of it, and about it's a '40s gangster style yep. looking, but yep. it's there's something a little bit off to it the whole time. It's always. It's yeah, they're, yeah, they're really, really. He's, I check out CJ's stuff. I mean, he just every time I get a chance to work with him, I'm like, "Yep, I'm on board." <laughs> yeah. See my hand in the air; it is raised. I am saying I want to participate. <laughs> do you ever consider do like a writing, like sketch writing, like a? You know, I did uh, for what I've done for writing along the way. Uh, has I wrote my own stand-up material. So when I yeah. work work with this, I worked with a couple national level acts where I got to to do the MC spot or opener spot and I did write my own material and it's it's true what they say is for stand up the stuff that, that works the best for you is from your life experiences don't try to make a premise out of something that you don't have any real relationship to but like yeah. you know the, it's you know you talk about well, things about growing up or whatever that's and, why Richard Pryor Richard Pryor was so funny his life yeah, was so horrible his life was horrible I mean the way he, the, what he grew, grew up in the environments he grew up in was just like yeah exactly yeah <laughs> And the best bit was when in the early 80s when George Carlin came back and he, he first thing he said when he's on stage is like if you keep in your scorecards right uh, me and Richard Pryor one to one with heart attacks but <laughs> Richard Pryor is ahead of me for setting himself on fire uh-huh. I mean, he to do he's one to nothing on that with yeah me. <laughs> yeah that's right he did didn't he yeah yeah man but but even and even like uh, 
I know monologue writers on late night TV shows. And that's a little bit different. They that's have like, writers. That's not but, like stand up. I yeah. mean, monologue is just one, one, two, three, and then, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, but, you know, like Leno, he would, he goes on the road all the time as a stand up. So when he wasn't hosting the Tonight Show, he was on the road and, you know, and doing stand up, and he grew up in stand up environment. I don't think Letterman. Per se, I mean, I know he did some because I know they met at the comedy store and all that. But yeah, his monologues were kind of. Let's just they were what, more heavily opinionated. Yeah, yeah. He was taking shots at this, that, or the other thing. This person, but it is kind of when Carson was failing at the monologue. It is funny to watch because he when he's he doesn't. You know, it's almost like he's hanging himself with his own necktie. You know, and that's where you learn that too. That's that that self-deprecating thing where it's like you know, and that's the save in a stand-up thing is if you. You know, the, the, it'd be funny from if I do like two nights, if I did a Friday and Saturday night with the same material with the same guy I was working with. Yeah. One environment, one premise would go over gangbusters and the next night it would be a yawn. And so you'd, you'd have these savers, you know, with just little simple little things. But they sometimes the savers would get the biggest laugh. You do like the night where you got the yawn, you'd go or maybe not just something <laughs> like that. And then the audience would laugh at that. So you, you just you get used to just. Because you're up there, it's you, a microphone staring at a group of people staring right, at you, yeah. and they're like, okay, funny, man, I came here to make me laugh, so make me laugh, you know? <laughs> do you go and see stand-up comedies? Do you watch them? Um, I do. I haven't done as much in the last couple years, but uh, for a while there, uh, yeah, I was, or I'd watch a lot of stuff. I've got some people that when their new stuff comes out, like Brian Regan. Yeah, yeah. On stuff like that, when their stuff comes out, I always make sure I catch it. When I was in college in the late 90s we'd have a thursday night class and then we walk over on acne comedy club and it was like open mic and then you can catch occasionally we catch some we saw frank canliendo before he was famous oh really okay yeah, sure he was all he did was just the voices for like five minutes and that was it and yeah. then but he was right you do it for five minutes and then you leave and the, everybody wants more of it well you build that up. Mm -hmm. That's the best when you want more from you. That's the best is with it, it's the time to leave, right? Yeah, it's yeah. And it's like Mitch Hedberg was a local guy, right? Yeah, he grew up yep. in Woodbury, um, and he and he became national. And you know, he he's that's my kind of style. Either that, that really clean, funny, curl, it, it's to me make it's you really, think you're making scratch. Yeah, the same, right? yeah, you know, like his bit about you know I bought a donut and they offered me a receipt, and I'm like, why would I ever need a receipt to prove I bought a donut? It's just it's so funny because it's so preposterous. Right, and yeah. it's clever. Right. Well, I watched his biography with his girlfriend. How she would hate to have arguments with him because mm -hmm. they would have real fights. But then he's like, "Oh, that's a funny joke. Hold on." And Still, it became fun. And he wrote it down. He's like, "Stay mad, stay mad." And he's like writing this joke down because he's going to oh, use yeah. it later. And then she gets more irate and he goes, "Okay, carry on. That was, that was good." <laughs> uh huh. I could see that happening. No, I could see that. And he was he he did a comedy special for Comedy Central a few years. Well, he's been gone for a while now, but yeah, Mitch, yeah. he did a thing, his first special, and he came out, and there was a point at the beginning where people didn't know how to take him because he was doing that super dry, like the receipt for a right. donut stuff. The whole escalator like, is still working when it's broke. Joking. Yeah, and then he finally sat down on the edge of the stage. He's like, well, I don't know, you guys. And then when he won him over when he did that, kind of just opened himself up, and I'm like, well, I guess you guys aren't getting me. I guess I'm not fun, or just something like that. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, people were like started to chuckle and laugh, and then they got into it. And then he just did the rest of his set with the same kind of material, and then they got it. I got so. to see him, uh, I think it was 05, when Dave Attell and Louis Black did their traveling show, and Mitch was the opening act. Mm. So we got to see him at Minneapolis, and he was talking about, I'm a Minnesota native. Yep. 
that's not a joke. I'm from Minnesota. Please stand up and applaud. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it was a pleasure to. I got to. I actually got to see him be the opening act for Lewis and David Tobin. Oh, that's that before been we kind of knew. That's before you got on that uh, that '70s shows or anything. Then he's getting yep. his bearings and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you still go to movies? Do you still watch them? Yeah, I'm a big movie fan. I mean, I I I, I look at it as a combination. I just. I, friend of mine she's a sag actor she's in town from la a couple weeks ago and i yeah. was saving rocket man for when she came to town because she's a big musician too yeah so we went and saw rocket man a couple weeks ago that was I, I didn't know it was gonna be a musical and they didn't advertise it that way no that was a that was a, that was but it was definitely it. a musical yeah. and it was like it was so well done and we really enjoyed it. i knew she would because she's a professional actress but she's also a professional singer and so that was really good so yeah no i i pretty much I love period pieces like uh, Green. Was it Green Mile that came out earlier during the winter? I think so. Yeah, yeah. that one. And so I like period pieces, and I like I really like stuff from the fifties and sixties. Partly because well, I didn't grow up in the fifties, but I did grow up in the sixties. So maybe that's part of it. Is that I can relate to like I talked about earlier about my yeah. grandfather being a musician or whatever it might be. Um, relating to growing up during those eras, but so you kind of were a kid during the whole drive-in era, the yep. whole all the big drive-ins and everything. I yeah, thought. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the whole then they started marketing movies to teenagers. The whole drive-in, they had all those monster movies and those. Yeah, the yeah. two or three, you'd be there till two in the morning deals, yeah, or whatever, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So with the um, outside of it, when you were a kid with movies, did you have like a favorite actor or as a kid or a favorite movie growing up? Um, actor wise, I mean, I was a big, I was a big sketch comedy guy. Like when Saturday Night Live came out, okay, I totally got it. <laughs> I mean, Aykroyd, Belushi. I mean, I I can go back and watch any. As a matter of fact, recently I have I've gone back and watched some of Belushi's stuff. You know, Samurai Hotel and yeah, the, the clerk, right? Yeah, yeah, I thought the the Blues Brothers was a disappointment in that it was more of just a you know. I think it was an extended joke. Yeah, it's an extended you know, joke, right? Yeah, yeah, so there's a little much, but like the sitcoms and the fake commercials on Saturday Night Live. So I've always been, my first preference would be something that was comedy. It's a, Well, it's amazing how Cheech and Chong have lasted with one yeah. joke. It's, it's one joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But then you take that one where those guys from Saturday Night Live did that one where that the two where they're bobbing their heads in that same Oh, song. the club guys? Yeah, yeah that the, was like, oh, they made a one movie joke. out of that? Yeah, that went on for an hour and a half. Come on, yeah. <laughs> but see, it's not yeah. like that. It would, Yeah, so I was... But movie-wise, you know, it was it was different then because, you know, you'd you'd go see him and you'd probably only see him once because you'd have to go to a theater to see him and, and that yeah. was you couldn't buy a copy. And then when... So then when VHS came out and you had the VHS player with the remote with the wire on it, because it yeah. wasn't a remote wire, you'd sit in the, and you know, that was pretty cool because you could actually buy VHS copies of stuff and you could watch them again. Well, so, I was, there was a, a documentary of Doug Kinney who started National Lampoon and they talked about how, and he was going to do, I think it was going to do Caddyshack. And before Caddyshack came out, Airplane came out cool. and he watched, he went to the theater to watch and he's like, I'm ruined. There's no way my movie yeah. is ever going to be this funny. See, that's the thing. I, I've seen Airplane, you know, a dozen yeah. times easy. And it, it, within the last few months, I saw it. And it's just the, these one-liners, you know, the, the just the, <laughs> and don't call me Shirley. I mean, right. it's just, it's so. Right. Telling, t- telling Leslie Nielsen, don't tr- just try to win an Oscar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he just, he's, he's coming off this history of all these movies where he was a serious character, whatever. Yeah. And then he goes and he plays 
a parody of himself and it was right. hilarious right yeah because they, they i think they had it from watching the documentaries the zucker brothers he's like he's he thought he was in a comedy so he had to be silly he's like no just try to win an oscar <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're the name that's attached yeah. yeah or one of those deals but yeah, yeah no so yeah airplane would have been right up there and you know and of course though that's the serious one the uh airport 75 or whatever that was filmed in minneapolis yeah we had a previous a episode we talked about the whole disaster the, the disaster films and airport started the whole disaster yep. Phobe, yeah Yep. Yeah. So you, I mean, you grew up in the whole disaster areas where every year you had yeah. like earthquake or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I was a kid in the late '60s, early '70s, and so yeah, it was a lot of that. But so you still, and you still go to movie theaters all the time. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Within been within the last two weeks, there's a couple coming out. Um, they're leaving my brain at the moment here, but there's a couple I know that I got my eye on that are coming out in July. Um, yeah. So I go um, pretty frequently and. I go with friends or I'll go by myself. I got some other actor friends. We'll go as a group and watch stuff together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, 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 and I have you know the typical online resources available where I can watch stuff that's as an actor. You know, and you worked in uh, behind the camera too. But when you watch a movie, what is the first thing that kind of comes out to you at first when you see? It? Now it's gotten to be one of the biggest things that I've really come to appreciate is the cinematography, the yeah. framing. The way that the choices that are made of how something's presented visually, because when you don't, when you don't know that or you don't understand that, you just kind of think to yourself, "Oh, that's that's a great shot, or that's a pretty shot, or I like those colors, or whatever." But when you start understanding framing and choices and the rule of one eighty and all these kind of things, and you start seeing that how people do it, it's that I really like uh, the AMC series Better Call Saul. Yes, which is the spinoff of uh, Breaking, uh, Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah. Yep, that one. That's one of the things I noticed immediately was the cinematography. There's, there's one episode that you know you've heard of a continuous shot where they don't cut. Yep, and yeah. And this continuous shot, there was so much movement that was choreographed, and this was when a vehicle was going across the border and was going to go through customs and be inspected, and all these things that had to line up in, in sequence. I can't say the in word. sequence. In yeah. sequence, yeah, yeah. and. Um, it had to happen a certain way and it was a continuous shot there were no cuts and how that turned out and how that looked and how i told that story it was like five minutes um and i've only done one or two shoots in my life where i've been on something where they said that we're doing this as a continuous you know shot with no cuts so don't look into matter of fact one of the one of the other of cj's films was a the whole thing was one continuous shot Right. Yes. Yes. If, if you talked about it, in this it's period. called one shot. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. just the whole thing was they started at point A, and I was I was at po- uh, location two. And I think they, they used the camera as like a a person in the in yeah. The it was store. a POV. The camera was the POV. Yep. It was yeah. a POV of the camera from every the, the whole thing. And this camera followed these same people. Then they came to my location, and we had our interaction, and it was loosely scripted with a lot of improv. And then they went on to the third act in a third location. But um, yeah. There's so, an old movie, um, Philip Marlowe, Lady in the Lake, where you're Philip Marlowe. You see the world. as You hardly ever see Philip Marlowe until he like, points the mirror. But the entire movie is shot like you're him mm-hmm. you know, on this case. And the actors come up to the camera and talk and everything. So if you, it's, a, it, it's really daring. I don't know if it really works well, but it's a new, neat perspective of having maybe him as 
as the entire audience can see it as Philip Marlowe. Did. Yeah, breaking the fourth wall used yeah. effectively can be really effective. Like you know, yeah. like you look at this uh, series, of The Office. All those characters yeah. break the fourth wall all the time. You know, they, I'd be talking to you, the, this person. I look over the camera. and I'm like, you know, yeah. Dwight. Or, uh, he's react. Jim's yeah. reacting to Dwight or whatever. It's always breaking or, the fourth wall. Or an airplane with Striker. Yeah. What a, what a yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, it, it, in those yeah. cases, it the works. Marx Brothers did it, too, and the, they're playing the music, and Groucher goes, you know, you guys can go in the lobby. I have to, I'm in this. I have to sit and listen to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good. That's good. And that was probably improv, too. They, probably just, they were like, why'd you do that? But, no, that's really funny, yeah. <laughs> you guys can go in the lobby and get some popcorn. I'm in this movie. I have to sit and listen to this. I have to listen to this, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's uh, it's good. But, uh, well, like continuous. I mean, Marsh Brothers did that too. Like you know, the the room with two doors, and you go one out and one. He had all the timing and rehearsing to get the jokes, and one person's under the tape, under the bed, and everybody's looking for him. And then, yeah. Well, so, and then yeah. you look at the fact that when those types of projects did something like they were shooting it on film, right. and now it's difficult in a digital world. You can go well, we're going to do another one because other than time. The medium we can erase the card and we can do another take but right, when you're yeah. burning when i first got into commercial work the first tv commercial i did was a f- shot on film and we rehearsed it and rehearsed it and rehearsed it and they said you better been paying attention because we're going to burn so many hundred of feet of film shooting this now and we're only going to do it i mean it's really like they didn't want to do it multiple takes because you burn up all this film and it's really expensive and then you got to develop it and all that but now that's it's the plus and minus of digital is it's great because you can do another take and get exactly what you want but sometimes from the actor's perspective it can be so i worked with someone a couple of years ago and it was just like we did take after take after take after take and nothing nothing was changing and it was like i think they were just were enjoying doing the takes it's like I'm I'm not, I'm kind of lost here. I don't know what we're, we're. Do you want something different? It's like no. They they wouldn't move the camera once in a great while. They'd move the camera just a little bit. But yeah, it was yeah. so that's the kind of the plus and minus of it. But well, the the great comedy of like Buster Keaton catching the train. I mean, yeah, you want to? You can. There's no way you can do another take. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a one. That's a one. One or the whole there, house yeah. falling on top of him and he's perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, like there's that scene in uh, Three Thousand Miles from Graceland where Kevin Costner. Is leaving that gas station, and I read you're about right. that where the gas station blows up. You know, he throws a the man. You're right, match, yeah. And they had to time that just right. That wasn't like a special effects thing. It was like he's coming up the hill with the Cadillac, and he's driving up the hill and coming around the certain curve. And when he got to a certain point on the curve, in the background, you had to see this place blow up. So there weren't multiple takes on that. No, you can't do. You know, you can okay. special effects CGI. Obviously, you can do whatever you want, which but, is why explosions takes for us because you don't really have. <laughs> Yeah, it's like everything. So triple checked. It's like okay, everybody absolutely on their A game. You know this, that, and the other thing. And the other, um, the other I was listen. I was um, talking with a person who is a pyrotechnic technician who does all that stuff. He goes, you know, when we go out there, it's not like we we want it to rain because once you set it up, it's not like you want to take it. Okay, we're raining. We can't do it today. You want to put that all that stuff back in the van? No, no. So it's a lot of components working around timing and setting it up. I was on a film shoot this year and I won't say what it was because it's something that's still in production or recently in production. But um, what I can say, the gist of it was, it was a situation where there was expensive props in the background uh, that needed to be handled with great care and where obviously it took a lot of work to get them. And these props were there. What happened was 
got these props in place, got the everything's in place, rehearsed everything, and it was going to be a continuous shot. Okay. Yeah. And then the weather round one of the weather rolls in, so oh. everybody runs for shelter. Well, so we sit inside until that weather clears, and they go, "We're going to try for round. We're going to try again." We go back out there. They restore the props back to where they were and address the issues. Well, what the rain and the wind did with leaves yeah. on the ground and this and that. Got it ready for a second take. Second round of weather came through. <laughs> so that night, that involved you know probably twenty five actors alone, and it was a pretty decent sized production situation. So there was a lot of cast and crew, and that uh, yeah, that was uh, never got. They never got that. Uh- you know, I talked about it with the comedies, especially I think, and I've um, I've had this uh, wonderful conversation with my friend Lucas Munson. He's a writer, but um, I've always emphasized that you have to have some kind of comedy in your story, even if it's not a mm-hmm. funny story. Because uh, my opinion is, if you're not going to put comedy and you're not going to make fun of it, somebody else is going to. Your, yeah. The audience is going to. Yep. And it's always kind of you want to have the whole spectrum of emotions, right? Any great movie it talks about comedy, so. Is it something you look for in a script about something of a comedic angle or is it something that you find in something like that? Yeah, I think it is something I look for. Uh, I look at like, for, you know, we talked about Better Call Saul earlier and it's the same thing. Bob Odenkirk's background is largely in comedy. Even though you're not like, ha ha ha. Yeah, right? it's not, but it's, but there's a certain dynamic to his character that has that. So he's, and mm-hmm. I look at him as an example and I look at Bill Murray as another example, same thing. Bill Murray did a movie a couple of years ago. What was it called? St. Augustine or oh, something Saint like Vincent. that? Oh, St. Vincent. St. Vincent. Right, yeah. And same thing, you know, it's you got the Bill Murray personality, which everybody takes Bill Murray as he's the guy that can make fun of out of anything. He played, played a very serious role, but there's still that layer. I'm sure his training, yes, so for me, yeah, my training is to look for the levity of, you know, because you can have a really tough situation in the storyline, and that character can be in a pretty bad situation, but there still might be something about it that the reason the character gets through it is because they find some type of levity or some type of lightness to it that they can help get them through it. So right, yeah, yeah. And I think that you know a lot of it is that it is the improv background too, and uh, you know a lot of people are just. I think what you have to do to do that though, you have to look off the page and not just look at the words. You have to look at the, make sure you're looking at the bigger picture is the scene the context of the scene in the storyline where the where the characters have come to this point in the story what's gone on um so you can incorporate that if you can you know right. i mean if it was just a it's the absolute darkest of dark dark situations that no there's not going to be probably any comedy there but uh they might recover from that situation uh and, and come back to a situation that's much more lighthearted you know <laughs> So do you still go back to down to southern Minnesota? Do you still visit it quite a bit? Yeah, my parents still, uh, they still live in uh, Owatonna now. Yeah. Um, I grew up on a hobby farm in Cannon Falls, and about four years ago they got rid of the hobby farm. And What was on the farm? Uh, we sh- we grew up showing horses in okay. 4-H and all that. You've heard of 4-H probably where it's kids on, they grew up on yes, farms. Yes, well, definitely. Show yeah. Any kid from Minnesota would know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we did that, and up until about four years ago it just got to be too much work to try to keep when you have a hobby farm, it's it's kind of like having a lake cabin. It's nothing but projects. <laughs> you drive up there for the weekend, you know, and it's like this weekend we got to cut the grass, fix the screen, put the dock out. I was I, a long time. I was telling my wife, you know, I remember my friends come up to the cabin for opener. 
Yeah, we'll open it. We'll put you to work. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now I figure out what it means to go up to the cabin for opener. Yeah, take the boat out, put this, take the dock out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, fix this door. <laughs> it's all precious. Well, and that was the thing. And my, so my sister and I, I have a sister that's a couple years younger than me. And we talk, it's like, well, do either one of us want to own a hobby farm at this point in our life? I'm like, no, I don't right. want to. I mean, it's, it's like, say, it's just literally you could go from project to project to project all summer long. And yeah. then the winter comes and you're just plowing snow and whatever. And then the summer comes again. And well, we got to now the barn needs to be restained and this needs to be fixed. And that fence fell down and the grass needs to be mowed, the pasture. And it's so. amazingly the landscape in southern Minnesota. It's much different from northern Minnesota. Oh, it's, it's the topography the, where our hobby farm was, it was on the highest point in Goodyear County. Okay. And Goodyear County is just so, uh, short of the, south of the metro. Yep you know, about half an hour, and we were right on the edge. So you could, if you went up 50 feet up from our place and looked at the top of this hill, you could see all the way to the Twin Cities. Yeah. So it was a really tall. You can see somebody coming an hour away. (laughs) We could see fireworks. You know, on July 4th, we'd sit out on the deck. It's like you can see, okay, there's Rosemont's fireworks. Uh, and there's Cannon Falls fireworks, and there's Hastings. (laughs) You can't see them very well, but you know they were spread out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could tell, you know, they weren't the same city, but... You still ride horses, so? Um, it's been a few years. Uh, I had a pretty bad knee injury on it. I got thrown from a horse. Oh, really? Your, your body doesn't bounce off the ground at age 40 like it does at age 20. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Definitely not. I no. mean, uh, so I, uh, no. when I was a kid, you know, that was kind of the joke. My dad was like, you know, you get injured, you get back on, or you'll be scared, and the horse will know that they're the boss and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But this one situation I was in, I was a much older person, and I got thrown and I landed wrong and I hurt my knee really bad. So um, pretty cautious about it um, for the right situation, for the right movie role or the right situation. I would I would do it because I know that what happened in that case was the horse just panicked because of there's distractions that caused an issue. Yeah. Um, so, but you ever had the interest of doing the old rooster cloghorn true grit of shooting I two guns on a horse love to do something like that i've done a couple light western short film things yeah yeah i even bought a one of those cap gun those six shooter cap guns that right, look like yeah. a real six shooter yeah i've got i own my own one because i've done a couple of westerns so yeah definitely <laughs> is western do you still watch them you still like them yeah yeah definitely yeah. uh um i went and saw what was the one with uh denzel washington the couple years back um i forget the name of that one and there's also another one with uh sam shepherd that was a cable western but it was really well done it was really legitimate everything looked really legitimate well he's on but, you know, he used to be a playwright too and an actor sam shepherd too mm-hmm. but he's done these wonderful perspectives these three act plays are really deep that it looks like it's simple landscape right at a farm but you get these mm-hmm. really deep motifs and characters involved and he's in a really great show on Netflix called Bloodline. Yes. So yeah. he's in he's in that until his character yeah. leaves the show. I won't say how, but in case you haven't seen it, but it's a good series. But <laughs> so some it's like the, I think you grew up in westerns is something that we all you just not going to get rid of, right? It's, it's kind of yeah. one of those things. It's like yeah, something like that that you grew up. With. I mean, because we when we grew up on the farm. We got up before school every morning, and we went out and fed our horse. We, you know, my sister and I both had a horse. Sure. We went out and fed them, and we cleaned their stall every day, and we rode. We trained when it was season. We trained probably every night after school. So, yeah, with that much, it's in my DNA for sure. 
my dad still shows. He's 84 years old, and he still. I went up and I videotaped him a couple of weeks ago, um, showing at halter. He doesn't ride anymore, but okay. halter means leading the horse and setting him up. You know, standing next to him. So he still does that. So yeah, it's in when it's in the blood. It's yeah, kind of inescapable. So when you watch movies with horses in them, can you kind of tell that there's a really accomplished person riding or yeah? Yeah, you, you get used to watching for the things like they call it the. They teach you when you're uh, learning to ride a horse to kind of be like a bag of potatoes, or you just kind of just because people that yeah. haven't ridden, what you see them like in a western saddle, you'll see them bouncing out of the seat constantly as the horse is galloping or whatever. Yeah. And that's a person that hasn't ridden. Right. I'm at El Dorado. I think D. Martin's like, I'm at back. Yeah. And John, yeah. John yeah like, because, well, nobody told you. <laughs> yeah. If you just kind of settled your weight in, it's kind of the horse is going and you're just kind of going along like this yeah. otherwise you're bouncing in the saddle you gotta kind of slouch a little bit yeah you right. just, it's like you can't it, be literally it's stiff. a sack of potatoes they just yeah. say just think of yourself as a sack of potatoes i never thought about that mm-hmm. way right yeah right. yeah well john man thanks for coming i, I appreciate is, it it was a lot of fun i hope i i hope you had a lot of fun or yeah, yeah i hope i had some semi-interesting stories to share <laughs> right. <laughs> right that's the other thing i when i invite people on is like just I love to talk about yourself and don't be boring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully we covered those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, we have a thing out there on a podcast. It's not over till the guest says it's over. It's over. <laughs> I love it. Don't